Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated, elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today on the podcast, I've got Miles Bingham from London. How are you, Miles? Hello. Hiya. You all right? <laughs> I love how um, Poppy say that. You are right? You are right? You're right. Yeah, I'm right. You. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And it was so funny because I had a person on Instagram contact me and say, you should really, you should really interview this guy. He'd be really great on the yeah. podcast. And I was like, oh, okay. So I checked you out and I was like, oh yeah. Okay. And so hit you up and here you are. So thank you so much for, for coming on. And just, I feel like it, I was a bit of a, a stalker there, but yeah, thank you. No, it's no problem. Yeah. Cause she, she did. She, she, um, she messaged me and then you messaged literally about two seconds later or whenever it was, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, but it's, it's funny how it all works out, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, totally. And it's nice to have you on. Usually we have a lot of Australians on, it's mostly Australians or people that lived in Australia. So it's just, yeah, yeah it's cool to have someone from the other side. A pom. A pomming on the podcast. No, it's just through my coaching and through messages I get from people, you know, and, and having been in over in the UK, traveling over there, there is a huge drinking culture over there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. Massive. I would say, because I, because I, as we were chatting before, but because um, I, I, um, I traveled around Oz for a little bit in my, in my 20s. And I would say the drinking culture is probably very similar. Like people don't drink like in Europe, they kind of drink. I mean, they still get pissed, but it's it's much more of a social kind of thing you have with food. Whereas we get we drink to get drunk. Whereas I think in other other cultures, they drink to maybe I don't know with food, or it's a bit more. You know, they have one or two, or it's with the taste. We get 
we go all out to get shit faced. It's a bit more dignified, isn't it? Yeah. In Europe. Whereas the purpose is to get as as drunk as you possibly can. So there is a def. I think the two the two cultures. Well, I mean, it, it's, you guys are old Brits anyway, aren't you? So it's kind of. I know you're not allowed. We're to say just that, convicts, mate. You're convicts, mate. A convict <laughs> colony. Um, but yeah, but I mean, it's it's it's. I think it's in our it's it's in our DNA, isn't it? It's the Celtic kind of the totally. Celtic curse. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, the Celtic curse, totally. And uh, yes, absolutely. I know with my own drinking, I, I started like I thought I was quite dignified, you know, especially when I, um, as we started to make more money and we'd just like pick, you know, an $80 bottle of wine or, you know, $200 bottle of champagne and think, oh, I'm so dignified, fuff, 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 and then drink. And then next, you know, like I'm just getting shit faced by the end. It didn't matter how much it, the, you know, whatever it cost, we can hide behind this mask of, oh, I'm drinking this fine fine bottle of wine or I did the same thing I kind of told myself so I would have like a, a reasonably priced bottle of wine first then I would go back to the shop have a medium priced bottle of wine and then for my third bottle I would go back to the shop and get a really cheap one because I was shit faced by then anyway and then with the first <laughs> bottle of wine I would tell myself that I would get a bar of dark chocolate so it would be I would pretend that it was kind of a refined it was just me getting drunk it was it wasn't and then and then what I do after the third bottle of wine I thought to myself well I better not I better not go back to the shop because they'll think I'm an alcoholic so I'd steal my friend's vodka from the cupboard and that that was and then refill it so it was but yeah I, I totally get that, that did whole you refill thing it with of, water or vodka uh I filled it with water and then I, <laughs> and then I realized <laughs> when I was going back to it that it was just water left so I had to then fill it with vodka again so I was basically topping up my supplies for myself not it it's it ceased to be about him it seems it ceased to be it was more about me making sure there was a supply of vodka for those for that point in time yeah ridiculous just madness absolute madness absolute madness so tell us a bit about your your journey when did you start drinking um so it's probably the same. I mean, it's probably the same as you guys over there. We sort of start, everyone kind of starts over here when they're about 14 and you go and Nick, you, you steal your parents' um, sherry or your dad's lagers or, or whatever it is. And everyone kind of comes together and we go at the park and you'd sort of sit around at, at the park and someone would buy 10 cigarettes and then you'd sit around the park on the swings, you know, drinking and 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 smoking fags. Um, so yeah, I started around then, and so it was it was kind of. I do remember <clears throat> when I started; it was I, I it, it was an instant relief for me. It was an instant kind of. I felt mm. it, I felt that sort of warm woozy fuzzy kind of relaxed feeling and I felt as though um when I drank that all my insecurities all the things that I hated about myself sort of dissipated and I do remember that and I was able to be because I was quite I don't know as a teenager you know you're full of hormones and all that and you don't know how to speak to girls and girls don't know how to speak to boys and everything everything's really awkward and you want to kiss girls but you don't know how to and all, all that sort of stuff and when I drank I was able to do those things. I was able to be, you know, a bit of a joker, a bit of the centre of attention. I was able to, you know, walk up to girls and ask them for a kiss and all that sort of stuff. So uh, even from an early age, it, it it was a way that I was able to sort of 
medicate my insecurities and medicate my anxieties. And so, yes, yeah, so we all started about, but I, I don't know if this is the set, but we, cause I mean, drugs is part of my story as well. So we got, we started drinking really early and then <clears throat> I'm old enough just for the UK rave scene. And so the older brothers that we knocked about with were going to rave. So there was a lot of like acid and LSD flying around and speed and weed and, and all that sort of stuff. So I got involved with that. I started taking acid. Um, How old were you at that I mean, stage? 15, 15 years old or something, which isn't. Wow. You were 15 and doing acid and yeah at raves wow that is young not at raves no because what we i was too young to get so what would we, we would score acid off the older kids the older lads that are about 18 so our older our, like i didn't have an older brother but makes had older brothers and so we would wander around the village where we were and and just sort of you know just wander around taking acid listening to old rave tapes and stuff like that wow um and so, yeah, so, and, but as a result of doing that, that's when I, we decided to take a lot and I took way too much. And I was, looking back, it was ridiculous, but I was a kid and it triggered, I, I had a really, really awful bad trip, like terrible. I think that triggered a lot of my mental health problems. Like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure looking back now. So after that, about two weeks after a really bad trip, I had um, I definitely started with PTSD, like flashbacks and PTSD and stuff, which was hard, which is difficult because you're like you're doing your A levels and you're having panic attacks on a daily basis and hiding it because you don't want to get. You assume that you're going mad. You assume that you're you know you're going to get sectioned. You assume you're going to end up in a in an asylum. It's really scary, and so alcohol became a way of escaping that as well. So I, I, I sort of. You know, I drank to get rid of panic attacks. Um, wow. That's full on. I had a similar thing I can relate because I remember going, I was actually, Ash and I were talking to our eldest daughter about this the other day. Uh, I remember going to a friend's house. I was probably 14, 15, and her mum was like local drug dealer, I suppose, and I had a like a bong, a, a cone. Yeah, yeah. And it was hydro weed and um I just, it was the first panic attack I ever had and I actually was hallucinating. I was fucked. I was absolutely fucked. And I remember I was so scared and I almost told my mum and dad to take me to hospital. I thought I was dying and I thought I was yeah. going mad. And yeah, after yeah, yeah. that, it set this whole chain of events of anxiety attacks. And yeah. just exactly what you just said, it just reminded me that I would often drink to stop the panic attacks and even into my 20s um, having a panic attack still and and drinking, not realizing that it was actually making them worse. But anyway, I digress. Please, yeah, go on. But no, that's what yeah. I like. Just what what you're saying there. I think what what from my experience and from chatting to most people, what most people tend to do. So there's two types of drinkers, isn't there? There's people that drink just to have a nice time and they stop, and then there's people that I think drink to self medicate. Mm. And I think a lot of people now, because we live in stressful lives, drink to self medicate. But if you've got mental health conditions, I don't know anyone that's in recovery that didn't have some form of mental health condition, whether or not it's bipolar or ADHD or anxiety or depression or panic attacks or PTSD or whatever it is, a personality disorder. And it's and it's usually it's I think alcohol um, is an attempt to feel OK or an attempt to sort of escape that pain and those that's that's caused by those things and I think it starts early on and it's such a slow process or it was for me anyway 
<clears throat> I know some people always go, yeah, I had, I, I was an alcoholic from the first time I drank, but I don't think I was. Um, I could take it and leave it. Um, and funny enough, it was actually when I, when I came back from Australia that I think something had changed in me. I noticed that my relation, how like I remember coming back, seeing all my mates at the pub when I got back and I'd be about 26 and panicking because they rang the bell for last orders and going up to the bar and getting some shots because I'd got so used to getting pissed um, that, you know, I, I sort of started panicking. And that's when I started noticing the first symptom that I actually had was um, I noticed, and I put it down to willpower, but the first symptom that I noticed was that um, when I drank, I was unable to stop. I found it really difficult to stop. Uh, and before that, I could have one, two, three pints and just leave it and go home and, and not think about it. It wasn't an issue. Whereas that started creeping in. And looking back, that was, I would say, the first. I think it starts with you self-medicate and then you drink to sort of deal with whatever issues you've got. But slowly but surely it will creep in and it start, it starts getting its hooks into you. And it's not a, and I think people sort of think that you just wake up and craving booze in the morning. I don't think that's, that's not the process for me. Um, it was this, it was really slow, insidious, and it's not something that just, just happens overnight. It's something that will, it just really creeps up. I don't know if that was your experience. No, it wasn't mine, although it was starting to get worse and worse. But my friend Lyndall, who's on this podcast often, she started the daily drinking and it was a slow, gradual process, which started from stopping, trying to stop her hangover the next day. So she started drinking the next day and that spiraled out of control. Yeah. Yeah, So I'd started doing that a little bit later. So it's really, so mine was, it was, it was really slow. So I, I think I started doing the, I was quite a binge drinker. So I would do three, three day benders and that was in Australia. So I would sort of drink all day get up the next morning drink drink all day get up the next morning drink all day and then stop and then when I came I stopped doing that but it was really weird so mine mine was kind of like I think it was all over the place so I would there were certain behaviors that you go definitely alcoholic definitely alcoholic but they were kind of one year I'd do one behavior then I'd knock it on the head and then do another it was it wasn't just a linear it wasn't like a neat linear kind of thing. It was lots of different things that I was doing. Um, mm-hmm. At any point in this stage, like say when you're in Australia and you're doing like three day binges, were you at all ever worried about your drinking at that stage or were you just thinking? No, part because of it? <clears throat> so what it allowed me to be, so I've kind of, so the, the thing that I found was that alcohol allowed me to be sort of, it, it allowed me to play a, a, a kind of persona and I, I, I developed this persona of this sort of, because I, I, I was very good at drinking. I was very good at taking drugs. So I kind of invented this persona of someone who was a bit rock and roll, who was a bit of a loud, the loud one, the, the one who was hedonistic out there. You know, I would do crazy things just for attention. And more often than not, you, you know, you would get people would like you for that. And I think that society has this, they kind of there's this mythology about rock and rollers and there's this mythology about sort of the wild men and all this sort of stuff and they're held up in in high regard and you know young boys look at heavy metal artists and rock and rollers and that they want to be like them and blah 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 and so I kind of I played that role and so 
in Oz, no one really, I didn't, I, I wasn't worried about it. It just, I, to be honest with you, I wasn't, I wasn't worried about my drinking until the very end, really, which was many years later. I mean, I moved, I, I got, I got back from Australia and then I think my drinking really kicked off when I got, I, I kind of moved to London and I got my job in the advertising industry. And that's when it really, really kicked off because it's an industry. I think the stress of the job, the stress of working in, in that industry and the fact that there was, I mean, the agency where I worked at, there was, um, there was a bar and it was a drinking culture and it was a drug culture and it was, you know, it was readily available. And I think I, I, I sort of, although my, my anxiety was way out of line, it was, I, I got diagnosed with general anxiety disorder, which I hate the name of, because it's like general just makes it sound like it's just like, oh, it's just Generic. average, average anxiety <laughs> disorder. But it, it basically, I think it's generalized anxiety disorder, but it was, it was, um, yeah, it was, that, that was just, it, I was just anxious most of the time. And so I drank to, to deal with that again, self-medicating. But that's when it really kicked off. And so what I, again, this persona of being this rock and roller, um, I played up to it and clients wanted to be around me. People wanted to be around me. People wanted me to be this person. I go to staff dues. I go to, you know, work parties. Everyone would say, you're on good form. You know, bosses would say, we need characters like you in the industry. You know, no one... No, at no point did anyone say, do you think you've got a problem? At no point did anyone say anything like that. They just, I was kind of, you know, I, I remember getting in, doing crazy things and getting a round of applause when I turned up late. So it was, it was just really toxic. And then um, my, my behaviour just got a lot worse. Like I used to get my cock out a lot. And that was just, <laughs> um, which wasn't, which wasn't, which you know people found funny but I found it was just deeply shameful and I didn't like doing it and then I I finished with a girlfriend in blackout and woke up under my desk in a puddle of vomit and it was just like it was just doing stuff that um you know should have been the end but I, what I did then was that I decided to drink at home on my own because it was safer because I wasn't going to be embarrassing myself in front of people. And that's when I really descended. Were you worried about, so obviously, you know, you're getting a cock out, you're doing, you know, waking up in pools of vomit. So at that point we started to go, hang on, obviously. Yeah. So at that point I was in, I was in massive denial, but I was buying books. So there was like buying self-help books. There's, um, I don't know if you get it in Australia, there's the Alan Carr give up smoking book. Yeah. I read it. Yeah. So I, I, I read that a few times and then there was, a, there's an Alan Carr give up drinking. So I tried it <laughs> and yeah, that it, it, it didn't work. And then I tried hypnotism. Mm-hmm. So I got hypnotized um, and that didn't work. I just kind of drank. I remember going to the hypnotist and I did, I did three sessions. And on the third session, I was like, right, I've been hypnotized now. I must be cured. Let's see. And so I just drank three bottles of wine, really slowly rather than so it it was I don't think you can I think if you've if you've got alcoholism or you've got the condition of addiction it's not something you can <clears throat> personally I don't think it's something you can cheat um, yeah but yeah so so I did by that point I knew there was something I knew there was something wrong um but I was still in denial I was trying to find at that point I was trying to find a way to moderate 
by drinking. I was trying to find a way to go back to normal. I was trying to find a way that I was able to have two or three beers like normal people, but I just couldn't. I was just, I was getting worse and worse and I just couldn't stop once I started that. It would, but I would go nuclear. I'd seem to just go through the gears much quicker than everybody else. And I just, I, and just the thirst was just, it was so overpowering that I just wouldn't be able to stop. Um, Mm -hmm. you know and then and so basically and then what I did was um so yeah so I started drinking on my own um at home and that's when it it really took off and then the the next stage was I, I wasn't able to decide not to drink in the first place so I would do um these weird sort of I would go to the front door would get my coat on go, no, I'm not drinking, sit back down, go, yeah, I am having a drink. And it was like a battle in, in my mind between myself and my addiction. And that was just maddening. It was just really exhausting trying to fight it all the time. And then you would just go, I, you know, oh, fuck it, I'm just going to have a drink. And so you would end up, so, and then that got worse to the point where I remember going to the shops to get my my food for that night, for the evening after work, and just walking getting getting some something for the ingredients for a bolognese let's say and then just walk into the the alcohol section in the supermarket and it was as if somebody else had my had control of my body and just putting two bottles of wine in the basket just go and just remember thinking why are you doing why are you doing this why are you doing it? so I totally lost yeah. the ability to not drink it was like being possessed is the only way I can describe it you've lost control um of your ability and that's when and that's basically after that I just it wasn't like a rock bottom because I did so many stupid things and so many disgusting things and shameful things and that should have been my rock bottom but they they weren't I I um I was just exhausted just absolutely exhausted just emotionally I was numb I'd stopped feeling anything I'd stopped feet I was just completely broken and that's when I kind of, I asked for help. And there was a boss of mine at work who was very open about his alcoholism. And that's why I am actually, because I've sort of based how I behave on his behaviour. And I emailed him and he just, and he was an old posh old guy. And he just went, oh dear boy, you're uh, you're one of the gang. You're an alcoholic like me. And I was like, oh, fucking hell, I'm not. And then it took me another three months to actually accept it. And then finally he took me to to AA which is which is kind of the first step for me getting sober but yeah that was that was that was how it how it happened for me basically wow wow yeah firstly I'm just thinking about you like and that whole struggle at night time will I won't at at, during the day when you're on your own like thinking will I won't I I'm not going to drink yes I am no I'm not I mean that's were you scared like were you scared about what was happening to you um yeah yeah it was it was it was really it, looking back. I wasn't. I I really wasn't well. Yeah, I, I knew that. I, I knew I had a, a real issue. I had real problems with um, workalism, workholism, because I worked in advertising. There was this this, this there's like this toxic ambition driving me, and I, I'd like myself, my inner critic and my inner voice 
was so searingly judgmental that it, I would, it was just like, you need to be doing more. You need to be doing more. You're not successful in, you know, all this. And I think, cause I, ch- I started directing music videos and doing all that sort of stuff. Um, and I wanted to be a commercials director. And I remember I finally got signed as a, as a commercials director, but I was so ill that uh, I was having panic attacks. I was, just, it was just, it was, I finally got to where I wanted to be and I couldn't do the job. And they let me go. And it, it, I think that was the beginning of my recovery because it was just such a relief that that, that had been cut off. And I think my whole identity um, was linked to success. And I could only, in my mind at that point, the only way I could be happy was if I was successful, which is ridiculous. So you, you're kind of linking your your very existence and future happiness on on something that's really difficult to attain. And so if you're not attaining it, you feel you feel depressed, you feel anxious, you feel. And so drinking was a way of dealing with that as well. So I was in I was panicked most days. I was having a panic attack most days. Wow. And so I'd get through the day either hung and I was probably hung over. So I'd, I'd have a hangover and a panic attack. And then as soon as I got home, I'd drink just to deal with it. So it's this weird. It was this horrible cycle this horrible toxic cycle and that's why I was so exhausted so when I did stop it was it was I was done I was ready to I was ready to to stop did you ever put to and like did you ever have the thought in your mind actually this alcohol is also exacerbating this anxiety um I was in such not it's really weird looking I mean I can see it now but looking back no because I was in such denial because it, it Anything that meant I was going to have a, to, to give up alcohol was, wasn't an option. It was only when I was absolutely broken, and I suppose that's why they say rock bottom, but it was only because I, I, when I couldn't do it anymore and it stopped working, actually, like I'd, get, I, I, like I'd used to be able to get drunk and it, it would be a respite, but it stopped working. It just it, it wouldn't do anything. You know, it just, it, I wasn't getting any relief. So it had stopped, the alcohol had stopped working. So that was that. So I, I was left with no place, really. Yeah. And that's where it just gets worse and worse, isn't it? Because you just keep trying to chase this, yeah. you know, the numb, the numbing and the feeling, the feel yeah, yeah. that's not coming anymore. Yeah. And I, and I think it's, it's because what you're chasing is oblivion. And, and I kind of went through a stage with drugs where I take ecstasy and ketamine and cocaine and, and all that. And that would elicit oblivion. Um, and that's what I think, I think that's what, that's what addiction is. It's, it's you're chasing whatever your drug of choice is. It doesn't really matter. I know you say addicts and alcoholics. I think we're all the same. Um, you, you are, you are, what you're chasing is respite from your, from, from your, the burden of self, aren't you? You just want to break from, from your head. Absolutely. And so, yeah, it, it stopped working and I wasn't able to get, so I had to, I had to, I had to get sober um, but I didn't want to I, I really didn't want to in fact because the old fella the old posh guy he took me to my first AA meeting I didn't want to do AA at all because I'm not religious and I thought it was a cult I thought it was I was going to get indoctrinated I thought I was going to have to start letting Jesus into my life and all this kind of nonsense and I'm I'm really not religious um and I remember going the first time there's God everywhere and all this sort of stuff. And I thought, Oh no, but I managed to, there were, there were like in London anyway, there were atheist meetings. So I was able to do it. And then I was able to find people that weren't, you know, that I think there's a silent majority in AA that are probably secular anyway. 
and so I was able to find people that that I was able to kind of find a commonality with that have become good friends and that's when I kind of I did the steps and the old fella the old posh guy became my sponsor and I did I did I did it that way AA helped initially but I did other stuff as well so I did like um uh, an MBSR course which is mindfulness based stress relief but it's basically learning how to meditate and how to practice mindfulness and I got really into um I say I, do, I, I was anti-religion but I got into sort of secular Buddhism yeah so um so yeah so meditation and mindfulness was a game changer for me massive oh, and I, I felt that that really complemented the steps and I was able to do the steps without God but I, I could do it with what I felt was a very practical kind of psychological technique for me to be able to look at all the things that were causing me pain, look at all the things that were causing me distress, um, look at all the things. Why was I trying to escape those things and slowly but surely begin to address them? And then I, I inhaled books about the condition. I started reading Gabor Mate. I started reading about, um, the neurology of addiction I started reading about dopamine I started reading about childhood trauma I started reading I inhaled book after book after book on the subject so I just wanted to know what was wrong with me mm. um, and that was really interesting and that and I, I kind of I replaced an addiction for wine and drugs with an addiction for knowledge and wanting to just heal and so it was slow at first and it was scary. It was terrifying at first because, you know, you're taking your anesthetic away um, and you're taking away your safety net and you're taking away and you kind of have to destroy the person that I'd invented. I had to destroy the person, that rock and roller that was the person, was a persona that meant that I was liked and safe in the world and people, you know, loved me for that person. He had to sort of take a back seat. And what I realised was that I didn't have to be that dickhead. I didn't have to be a dickhead to be liked. And oh, God, absolutely. We talk, I talk about that often with people and talk about it on this podcast a lot about labels and creating new labels for yourself, but also dropping that old label and how much pressure we even put on ourselves and what we put ourselves through to live up to this old label that, we've created that other people have created for us and that we just keep perpetuating you know mm. through our behaviors and drink and, and then also thinking fuck well who, who am I if I'm not this person that I've created and will people like this new person and you mm. know what's this new person like you know what, what am I going to be like without being Danny the one that turns up with the the fucking wine and the being the rock and roller or, or whatever and that's a big step it's a huge step so yeah. how did you sort of, how did you navigate that one? Um, so I think, so it's a, it's a really slow process. And I think it felt as though I was untangling myself from that persona. And I, and I think that persona was linked to the addiction. So as I got better and I left the addiction, that persona kind of, it, uh, the way I kind of described it, it was like, being entombed in concrete and the, the, the concrete kind of fell away and revealed the, and, and so what I began to, I, be, I, I basically got to know the real authentic me. And mm. um, what I realized was that I was able to say, no, I don't want to go to that party because actually what I, okay. What I discovered was I wasn't, I'm not actually an extrovert. I'm actually probably more of an introvert. 
um and I, and I know that's they're, they're kind of um extrovert introvert I don't think it's binary I think you can be an introverted extrovert I think you can be an in, you know I think you can be a little bit but I know that I find small talk at parties with a drink very difficult I hate it I, I hate chit chat yeah um you know, I'm much. I, I don't. I've, we've never met, and I'm having a conversation with you about a deep, meaningful subject, and I can wang on, as as you probably gathered, quite happily about you know something that's meaningful. But chit chat about how's oh how's the wife and kids? Oh how's what I, I find it intensely boring. Absolutely. And, you know, and so I had to, and, and so I realised that I I kind of liked, I liked stuff that wasn't partying. You know, I liked reading. I liked yeah. gardening. I liked um, trekking. That was a big, that was another big thing that, you know, that, that's what my Instagram thing's about. And so I got really into nature and hiking and mountains and sort of all that, all that kind of very, very lovely, <laughs> not rock and roll at all. Kind it's of not rock and roll. Time. And often we're not. And it, it's funny you say this because a few podcasts ago, I had a guy from the Sunshine Coast up near Noosa where you've been. And he told me about this term omnivert, which is exactly what I am, you are, and so many people. I posted it on my Instagram and all these people messaged me privately and on on the Instagram saying, oh, my God, that's me as well. And it's exactly that. It's like people that we don't know very well, we feel shy, we feel drained. It takes our energy. We don't like that much. But we we can hold a conversation like this really well, really confidently, but um, small talk, people we don't know very well, situations where we're not comfortable, we just can completely go introverted. This thing I've been saying for ages is that so many binge drinkers are actually introverted extroverts. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a term. I've, an never heard, I've never heard the term omnivert. So it's what is it? Omnivert. Yeah, you got to look it up. I was like, when he told me, Jamie Milne, I was like, what the fuck? What? An omnivert? And uh, it was so funny. And yeah, just like I said, and when I posted it and on the th- and just, all these people just going, yeah, fuck, that's me as well. Oh my god, oh my god, yeah. didn't know that thing existed. But I'm that. <laughs> so there's yeah, a new label. It's really weird. Yeah, because I can be at work with loads of people and be a, I can still be the gregarious dickhead without yep. booze. But then I need I need time on my with me, me and my time cats on your own. Yeah, just to just to just to deal with stuff and work stuff out, and then I have to go for a long walk. Think yep. things through, and then I can, and then I'm ready again, and then I can, I can come back to the world. But I do need to go. I do exactly. need solitude just to re, sort of recharge. I'm going to look. You, my at friend, that. are an omnivert. <laughs> okay, great. And they like That's... time on their own. They have to have time on their own. Omniverts have to have time alone. To exactly okay. that what you just said. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to look up this. Thanks for that, Danny. <laughs> well, there you go. You've learned something for the for this today. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so that's it. It's such a huge thing. So, how did you? So, you've obviously gone. You've gone to AA. Tell me about first. I've got a few questions going on in my mind here. Did you have any physical withdrawals? So, I think the first. Um, the f- oh God, it's such a long time. I seem to remember the first month being quite tricky, and I remember I got the sweats and I got. Um, I got insomnia and I got a funny thing with my legs. Oh, like the restless, restless legs? Yeah, yeah, I got restless legs at night where I've, I've, I couldn't, it was like I wanted to 
sort of tense them, but not it was it wouldn't. But that lasted. So I got those three things, and then I got my anxiety went through the roof. Yeah, I just felt a bit emotionally all over the shop. Like some days I was really, this is great. Some days I was like, I'm never going to drink again. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is brilliant. I've, I've mastered this. I'm, I'm never going to get laid ever again. You know, I'm never going to kiss a woman. You know, all the, it was just, it was a bit all over the place. And then I got um, euphoric recall. So, like, Easter's a big thing. Easter was a big weekend. They're just, just gone for me for drinking because it's like a big, long four days and, you know, everyone in spring sunshine here. And I remember my first Easter was difficult because it, there was lots of things like people outside pubs and I would go, oh, I can't do that. Or, I seem to remember the first six months was a bit, a bit up and down. And then you slightly mellow and then, you, and then you're all right. You've been seven years sober now, so it's a while ago. But do you remember how you actually dealt with the actual okay. craving? So my sponsor gave me a really, really interesting trick and I've read it elsewhere. So I did two things. So he got me to write this list of my most shameful things that I've ever done. So I wrote like the 10 most shameful things. And he also said, imagine your, your addiction. He says, he, he just made, he said as a yapping dog. So he says, when it's, when it's going, imagine it as a yapping dog. So the, there were two things. So I, I, I did get the cravings and it's that, it's that whole, you're kind of making a deal with the devil. You're making a deal with yourself in your own mind. What I did was I had this list to hand and I knew that if I was to drink, that it potentially could mean I'd be up at the local park rolling around in my own shit mm. if I took a drink. And then secondly, was when that deal was making, I knew I knew that that was my addiction. So I would just let it yap on and just think like a yapping dog. And I would just go, no, you're not getting anything. No, you're not getting anything, you know? And I, I just kept doing that. It was, it was this combination of if I drink, I will do something shameful, and it, and it was really hard. It was very difficult, but it did. It, it kind of it seemed to subside. Do you know what? The cravings seemed to subside after about two weeks. I would say yeah. mm-hmm. pretty quick. But then it was the it was the it was more the psychological stuff that, that that lingered. I think like the like the euphoric recall and I'll never be able to do this again. I'll never be able to do. You know, there was all these, and so the actual physical cravings went quite quickly. It was more the deal. The the addiction was there in your head. 
Yeah. It's more a psychological thing for me. Absolutely. Yeah. And dealing with those things, you know, it's real. Like you see people outside the pub enjoying a a nice wine or a cold beer on a warm day and you think, fuck, you know, that's, I'm not going to do that ever again. And that's, that's a big deal for some people. So how, how, like, what's your take on that? Um, I think you kind of, you just have to, I think acceptance is a really big thing as well. So as long as you are, as long as you believe, I know they say do it as a day at a time and all this sort of stuff, but I think you have to accept that you can't drink normally. You kind of have to accept that that's off the table for you. Oh my God. Yes. Um, you kind of just have to accept that you can't drink like a normal person and this is how it is for you now. And then once you've, once you've made your peace with that, you're able to go to these do's. And what I do is I have a hot drink. So I have a cup of tea or a a coffee and I've worked this out. So a coffee will probably last the same as a pint or what you have schooners over there, but I, so I can drink with my mates. And so what I found was like soft drinks you just down them. So if you're having a diet Coke or a lemonade or whatever, you just end up, you end up going to the toilet a lot. So I, but I can sit now at a pub and not worry about it. Or I can have like a a 0% kind of they do for show. If I, if I really have to look like the other boys, I'll perhaps have a 0% at a wedding or something like that. Does that trigger you? No, I know that's, that's quite, that's quite a, um, that's controversial, isn't it? I know some people are like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do if you're going to, you know, but I, uh, to be honest with you, no, it doesn't. I've been doing it for seven years and I have it. A, a I find them really gathering. helpful for people. Uh, some people that I work with will swear by them. That's how they get through. Other people are triggered by them. And I always say, you, you just have to know thyself and see how it goes. Exactly. I think it's a, it's a real, like in AA, they're really down on it, but, but I think, mm. I think it's like for me, if you, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the sort of, it's it, you, you're able to you're able to sort of I, there's something about fitting in and there's something about the, the the ritual of being with everybody else and feeling as though you're not you, you you're not standing out like a sore thumb and for me it just it, it helps me feel as though I'm joining in but I'm without without getting drunk and it doesn't trigger me it, I, I know that that it's for me, it's wine. I, I don't think I, I would be able to drink. Um, I don't want to go near zero percent wine. Me too. I, I don't. I wouldn't. I don't know. There's something about that. Yeah, me too. I don't know why. I just. I just know. No way. No. I just think it would trigger me because that was my yeah. drink too. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what it is, but yeah, I'm the same. Whereas zero percent lager is just flavored water, and so yeah. I, I don't know. But yeah. So, but yeah, no, I think, I think if it, if it helps you do it, if it, if you're triggered by it, like you say, it's, it's an individual thing. And I think, you know, everyone gets sober in their own way. Everyone gets triggered by different things. Everyone finds some things helpful, do what works for you. And if, if it works, it works, you know, I don't think there's, there's no hard and fast rules. Absolutely. Um, oh, hallelujah. Yeah, that's right. Cause you know, it's, it's, different things work for different people so like I've had people on this podcast who are AA all the way I've had other people that have just read books I've had people that have done all sorts of different things gone on their own had a coach and it's just whatever works for you and you'll find that out through process of elimination too or you know it's just sometimes the right thing just comes up at the right time 
Exactly. Yeah, 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 completely. So what were you doing when the emotions were coming up and are you able to feel your emotions now? Are you still medicated? So I only, I mean, it was just, it was kind of a short term thing. So I had, they put, um, so the doctors put me on Citalopram and I went to um, an addiction specialist at the Nightingale Hospital in London. And I saw like a psychiatrist and and, an Irish fella. And he said, he basically said, you, you, you can you can have have this for the anxiety da, 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 da. he said there's no shame in any of any of this you do what do what do what makes you feel better as long as you're not drinking that's fine mm-hmm. um and I don't think and I and then I'm um I was on quite a low dose anyway so it wasn't too but it was just it was just to deal with the anxiety because I was I felt as though that I might drink again as a result of the it was just very difficult I mean it was I was up and down and it was I mean I'm seven years now and I haven't had anxiety for about two years and that awesome. slowly slowly went away but I've done a lot of work on myself I've done a lot of you know I've, been, I've had about three sessions three or four sessions of therapy uh, like I say I've read loads mindfulness really pays plays a thing I've reframed a lot about how I look at myself I've reframed how I how I look at the world, how I look at work, how I look at my place, my identity. I've, I've, it's been a slow process of, re- of recalibrating how I deal with stress. And it's not something you can just, I don't think recovery is something you can kind of, you can intellectually know what to do and then you, you emotionally know what to do. And I think the emotional knowledge is because you, you, it's kind of a subconscious thing. That's what takes the time. I don't think you can just... St- Getting getting in recovery and sobriety isn't about stopping drinking. It's about it's about dealing with all the shit. I think that alcoholism or addiction is kind of the tip of the iceberg. It's all your emotional shit underneath the surface that you need to deal with. It's a symptom. And I've spent the last seven years slowly but surely dealing with all that. You know, so I do lots of things to I do all the right things that everyone suggests. And I do all of them just so I'm not leaving any any stone unturned just to make sure that I'm I'm kind of I'm keeping it all at bay. So my addiction is locked up in a cage somewhere in my in the recess of my mind. Yeah. And every now and then it will it will whisper shit to me. But most of the time it's um it's kept at bay because of all the things, all the steps I I take, mm-hmm. if that mm-hmm. makes sense. I think that mindfulness practice. It it plays such a huge part in the whole recovery. And it's also having a mindfulness practice enables us to then be able to separate from our thoughts a little bit and recognise the thoughts so we can recognise when the alcoholic part of us, the alcoholic part shows up or the addictive part of us shows up. You say like a yabbering dog and you can go, you can recognise it enough to be disconnected from it enough to go, oh, that's you starting up again. I'll, I'll just let you bang on for a bit, but I don't have to react to you. I can just simply notice you. And I, th- I think that's why mindfulness plays such a huge role in recovery. Massive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my, my little, my addiction thing, so it's latest thing is it kind of goes, ah, oh, well, I don't, I don't know why I've done this. So it just it kind of goes, oh, we never, we never tried heroin, did we? You could try heroin if you wanted. And then you could go to rehab because, and I'm like, well, shut the fuck up but it will just get it'll be like i'm wandering around the supermarket and it will it will just it'll go off and then but then i use the little yapping dog and then it, i just ignore it and i know what it is i know and i don't get involved with it i just sort of go yeah 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 and let, and then it stops you know so it's kind it's it's um it'll always be there but it's it's power over me is 
it it can't you know it doesn't have its power over me anymore so it, it does and every now and again I just go oh, you you know you could have a drink now it's been seven years and then again you just have to kind of ignore it you just you just it, it comes and then goes it's just a thought it's just like a a mind fart as I call it mind fart absolutely talk to me a little bit about that because oh god I, I mean I've people that listen to this podcast regularly would know that I've talked about this a lot, but, you know, messages getting, you know, getting messages from people saying, you know, I've had this time off. I think I'm, you know, going to start drinking again. Inevitably I get a message from that person again, six months down the track or less saying, fuck, I'm right back where I started. And I know in myself, I think it's the acceptance that you spoke about earlier, but I know I can't go back to I know I can't have one drink because I'll, I'll go right back where I started. It doesn't matter how much work I've done on myself. Yeah. And also I don't fucking want to. And this is because I, I, I don't want to get too preachy with people, but I want to say, do I mean, what for? Like what's, what's you know, if you play the yeah, tape yeah, forward, yeah. play it forward, you know, is it fucking worth it anyway? Just for what? You know, anyway, yeah, yeah what's your thoughts on that? It's exactly the same as yours. I kind of go, I... I don't think any drink could taste nice enough for it to be worth the life I've got now. I don't wake up full of shame. I don't wake up full of panic. I don't wake up full of horror. I'm not having to apologize to anyone. I'm not having to retrace my steps. I'm not waking up with ripped clothes. I'm not waking up with random bruises. I'm not rolling around in my own shit. I'm not getting my cock out. I'm not doing anything that's awful shameful horrific uh, you know I'm able to be I'm present I don't think any lager or wine I don't care where it's from what fucking year it is it, it, it you can you can keep it thank you very much because I've I'm, I'm just not I don't want it back I don't want that shit back and so it's it's just what uh, it's it's like I don't know why would I want to, I just don't want it back. It's just, it seems such a, a, a weird thing to be honest with you now that I, I just really don't, I, it's because my life revolved around sort of lying on the couch until the early hours of the morning, one eye open, trying to focus on the same 20 minutes of apocalypse now or Batman begins. I used to watch these two films over and over just watching it again and again and again. And now I go all over the world trekking. I'm able to, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, right at the minute I'm seeing you know it's just it's so the clarity of thought that I have now compared to then I don't want it back thank you very much keep it you know that's my thought on it fucking hell that was so well said I love that (laughs) every single syllable I loved it absolutely I'm with you I don't want that I just don't want any of that ever again no it's like this shut up Getting rid of a, you know, the most abhorrent tosser that's as a flatmate, and you finally he finally moves out, and then it's like going, well, do you want to move back in? No, he's just he, the biggest twat, <laughs> the absolute fucking arsehole of of a a cunt of a man, as they say in Australia. Uh, I just wouldn't want him. I just wouldn't want that. I don't want it back. No, you're not coming back. Fuck off. <laughs> You're not fucking coming back. End of story. I love that. Yes, yes, yes. And that's such a great analogy. It's like this fucking pesky twat of a flatmate and you finally get rid of them. Yeah, you would never say, you know, come on back. Yeah. 
No. I have people say to me, um, oh, but Danny, alcohol's like my friend. I have this a lot. It's like my friend. It's like my go-to. It's my my companion on a Friday night. And then I always say to them, and how do you feel on, on Saturday morning? Oh, God, I hate myself. I'm full of anxiety. I, you know, I'm suicidal. I'm, you know, I'm this or that. And then I say to them, well, if I told you I was hanging out with this new friend or, or a friend and that made me feel anxious, suicidal, made me hate myself, made me, you know, just want to put bury my head in under the pillows and never come out again, made me embarrassed, shameful, what would you tell me to do with that friend? And mm. they always say, I'd tell you to run for the fucking hills. It's like mm. it's exactly the same. Like that's what alcohol is. It's not this yeah. friend, not, not when it's gone bad. But if you're having no, one or two drinks, sure, but yeah, not when you've. Yeah. It's kind of like an abusive relationship, isn't it? I think exactly like I think it, yeah. it's um but I think you have to I keep on seeing it on Instagram. I think there's there, there seems to be the, someone posts a quote and then it does the rounds, but it's kind of like you have to you have to create you kind of have to create a life that you, you wouldn't want to give up for alcohol again. But I think the way you do that is by listening to your authentic self. You have to get to know your authentic self. And by getting to know your authentic self, this has been my experience, by doing the things that make you happy and by putting in boundaries so you don't do the things that makes you upset. So when someone at work says, can you work this weekend? You say, no, I can't work this weekend. So you're not full of resentment and bile. So you put in boundaries and you start doing the things you like doing. then you your life gets happier so I think you just have to listen to the there's that voice within you that is you the more you align with that the easier life becomes and less stressful it becomes and happier it becomes and so if you're living authentically I know this sounds very hippy dippy but if you are living authentically you won't want to go back to in in inauthentic and an authentic life which alcohol is absolutely Um, yes because yes. I think I think drugs and alcohol are um, they are a, a, a this is what I've learned is a, they are a synthetic form of happiness. Mm-hmm. So you can take them and you're instantly happy. Whereas what I find is like, especially with my trekking, like the, the joy I get from climbing a mountain and the elation I get is so pure and so it's you know I, it's just it's it's the absolute zenith of sort of joy and relief and all this all these emotions but it's clean and I don't feel hung maybe I have a sore ankle or whatever but it's clean I don't feel hung over I don't feel ashamed I don't feel so there's there's things you can do um that make you feel all that way but you kind of I think like you have to I don't know I think happiness you need a little bit of struggle with happy to to achieve happiness like nothing in life is worth doing is 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 easy and I think you know cocaine and alcohol is dead easy you can just snorting a line of coke just to feel happy it's it's it's, you're cheating and I don't think you you don't need to cheat because you you know you know you can feel content you can feel the joy and I I sort of wander around the park or you know a a little wood or the hills or whatever and you, you feel the joy from nature and life and all that sort of stuff so you get contentment just from really simple things Oh, absolutely. Um, Seeing the beauty in things, things come alive. Yeah. And also being able to feel your stuff enough that you can feel sadness sometimes and you can feel anger or 
and stress. If you don't feel those things, you wouldn't know what happiness feels like. So feeling the full range of emotions. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think as well, when you're feeling, I think emotions, this is the other thing I've learned, which is a blindingly obvious thing. I think your emotions are sort of like early warning systems or alarm bells for when you're not, when it's not right for you. So if you're, you know, Mm. it's, it's kind of, I used to drink because I was getting red flags about things. Whereas if you listen to your red flags, if you, if someone's making you angry, then they they are pushing certain buttons. So you need to either have a word with them or remove yourself from that person's vicinity and, you know, and not deal with them or try and cut them out of your life or they're not good for you. Or do you get what I mean? So it's, it's kind of yeah. like, I think, you know, negative emotions, whatever they are, are there for a reason. It's, it's, it's your authentic self saying, I'm not okay with this. And the more you are able to go, I'm not okay with this and not worry what other people think about you saying, I'm not okay with this the happier and more content you are. It's just, it's it's like, it's, this is what I found about sobriety was it's, it's just a series of things that are fucking obvious that you just don't really, like just be yourself. You know, everyone keeps on saying that, but I didn't really get that until now, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes. And I love this. I lo- And I, I find as you go on in sobriety as well, that you do, ta- you get to know yourself more and more and more. So I don't know if it's that I'm getting older perhaps or it's just that I've been four and a half years sober that I feel more authentic and I am learning to say no more and more. It's still a work in progress, but, you know, I am getting much more in touch with who I am and and what I actually want and what does trigger me off, you know, like the red flags or someone's making me angry, I can go, well, what is it? What is it within this experience or what's what's this triggering in me and, and how can I work with that? rather yeah. than just try and fuck it off, rather than just, you know, trying to escape from it. Just go, oh, that's yeah. interesting. What's this all about? Yeah, that's mindfulness. See, mindfulness really helps with that, doesn't it? Because I, totally. I kind of do. If someone's stressing me out, I go, okay, where am I feeling the anger? So I'm feeling it here. It's rising up there. Oh, yes. Okay, why are they? And then you kind of have to go, okay, is it me that's the problem here or is it them? If it's me, I can do something about it. If it's them, I can kind of go, okay, they're pro- are they having a bad day? Are they... Are they weird or what? It, what is it about them that's caused? And so you kind of, you can, you approach, I approach that with a lot more compassion and a bit more, a slightly more adult way rather than just being, <laughs> finding ways to get my revenge or send, sending a passive aggressive emails and just a real dickhead thing to do, whatever. I used to be a twat. I've- absolutely and just just not reacting like it gives you that space and I think when we're in that kind of shitty liver stage of uh when we're drinking all the time and we're just in we're so used to just reacting and not feeling so now we can start to go oh okay what's actually going on and Mm. can I give it a bit of space for a minute before I react and Mm. tell you what so Mm. just reacting has caused me a lot of fucking grief so it's good to have Mm. that space um another Mm. question I wanted to ask you because you're, you, you know, you've had seven years under your belt. I do, you know, a lot of people messaging through saying, you know, I've, I've had one year sober. I'm getting a bit bored. Now what? You know, for, you know, when you plateau in sobriety, you know, when yeah. you start to get off that pink cloud, as they call it. How did, did you find that you had that? I didn't because I've always kind of kept up the learning and I keep trying new things and doing. I keep myself busy like that. So I. Sometimes I don't have an answer for that for people other than keep yourself busy, keep learning. 
Um, yeah, you kind of get, I don't know. It's, God, that's a really good question. I haven't, I haven't actually thought about that because I don't think it is a thing for me. I kind of got, I've got a bit, AA got a bit kind of, it was the same thing over and over. And then I started trying other things as like Dharma recovery. And then I've got my little Instagram thing that's kind of because I'm writing posts and I'm reading stuff all the time. That kind of keeps me um, keeps me kind of in the loop with stuff. And then I, I, I still read. I, I mean, I'm I'm constantly. I mean, I got re- I'm such a cliche, but I got really into psychology and I got really into sort of um meditation and then my trekking and all that sort of stuff so there's I mean I don't know I'm I'm just quite a happy customer with it all to be honest with you I'm I, I like I, like I've sort of covered I don't really want to go back to it and yeah you have moments where you think oh I'd love to get absolutely annihilated but then you think I I, I don't know I it's I don't know how to answer that one if I'm honest um you've yeah, stumped me there cool. I just think I think yeah, you did I, I mean, in I that guess... you you got into the psychology stuff, the reading, you're doing your trekking, and I'm sure that you probably have new goals for yourself all the time perhaps too with the trekking or, you know, trying a new mountain or trying a new trail. Yeah, so I think, yeah, I think that's probably, to be honest with you, I think there are there are things that have replaced my drinking so that I don't, like I'm, uh, so with the trekking sort of thing, I've, I've, I try and do two big treks a year so I try and go to like Patagonia so at Christmas this year I'm going to go and climb Aconcagua so that I'm gearing up for that and I'm I'm the obsessive thinking is still there so I'm like going okay what are the which routes are there how do I do this what kit do I need and I'm like looking at and I'm watching videos and I'm get I get really into you know and it's and it it is a cliche like addicts (laughs) and alcoholics they all get into cycling or marathon running or circuit training or they get really focused on something else and I think I think that's great though yeah which is great and I think it's uh, it's um what was it so an obsession an obsession nourishes addiction destroys I think it is but I think you can get addicted to running can't you and I think people get addicted to exercise and that can be you just have to watch it don't you but I think I think like going back to okay so going back to what I said before i think if you can create a life for yourself where you don't need drugs and alcohol then you're winning and it's whatever you do and again it's like what what do you like doing like some people i know there's mates of mine that um they're really into drama so they get into they sort of do amdram stuff i know other mates of mine that are really have got really into baking and stuff like that i've got a mate of mine who's really into um he became he changed his career and became a sound recordist for for stuff and and his passion is all about that now and he he loves doing all that sort of stuff and I think if you can if you can find something that really resonates with you and who you are whatever that is you 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 probably won't suffer with that kind of plateau because you Mm. I don't know. It's just you. If if you can find a fulfilling life in some way, whatever that is, and and I, th- I don't mean you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be a, a, a movie star or a, you know, you just just do what makes you happy. Then I don't think that will be a thing. Um, yeah, it's absolutely. Not- I find a hobby like 
you know, something, I think it's just a matter of finding something in life that you love, that you enjoy, that you can, and it does, like for me, I love the sunrise. So I get down to the yeah. sunrise most mornings and that sometimes is enough for me. And plus I love reading and, and, and like learning. I'm a bit addicted maybe to learning, but same. yeah, yeah same. So that kind of fuels my fire and, and just getting out and moving. And, you know, I'm not an exercise junkie at all, but I, I do love to walk every day and, you know, self-improvement is my thing. So that's yeah, so you've got, my hobby. <laughs> yeah, but you've got, yeah, very similar to me, very similar mm-hmm. to me. I think it's, I think if you, I think it's about personal growth and that sounds like such a wanky thing as well. But if you, whatever your personal growth is, you know, if you get, let's say you get into baking, but getting better at baking and, and trying baking new things and doing all things and, you know, trying all that sort of stuff. But like, like, like you, I, I got really into walking in the beauty of nature and I, I it never grow, it never gets old. And I don't yeah. think learning ever gets old, like learning about stuff and different <laughs> takes on stuff. And I've, that to me is, you, you know, you, you'll never be able to get all the knowledge You'll never be able to drink in all the knowledge in the world. So you, I think you've got you've got a, your hands full if you just just growing. I think just personal growth is a, is a really big thing, and that's I think that that should replace it. That's yep. enough. I think that's it too. And and getting out in nature. Speaking of nature, I was just saying to one of my neighbours the other day. We live, we're lucky enough to live right near the beach, and so every morning I walk down to the beach, and when I come up over this little hill, it's like every morning is a different it's a different beach almost like it's the same yeah. beach right but I see something new every day because the sun might be in a different spot or you know the the sand may form differently but every morning I'm like oh my god oh look it's like a new gift every day and I really I'm in awe of it I just sit there and I'm like literally I'm in awe often and I think that kind of keeps me me really I don't know I, I just no, I, I totally love nature I love nature yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally get that because it's 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 a it's a, yeah, I totally get that. Like if I'm, I find exactly the same thing. Like sunsets and sunrises, and 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 it's you kind of get this profound feeling of connection to the world, and, and you know, and it's that's what I mean. That it's it's pure and it's joyful and it's contentment and it's serene and all those things. Mm-hmm. I guess we were trying to find with drugs and alcohol you're, you're trying to find serenity really aren't you with you're trying that oblivion is is a fucked up way of really trying to find serenity um and yeah, i think you know a beautiful out, yeah. sunrise and you know, all those things and growth and they're, they're a form of serenity and it's all to do with flow and this all that psychological thing and blah 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 but i could you know what that's you not very said. helpful is it just going blah 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 no, no, I love, I just want you to, I just want to go back a minute. What you just said that oblivion is, what did you say? A something form of serenity. So oblivion is, is a fucked up way of trying to achieve serenity. Oh my God, t-shirt. That would be the best thing. <laughs> I, I Seriously, I'm going to bring out a line of t-shirts just from this podcast from different quotes and that is going on a t-shirt. <laughs> we'll split yeah. profits, of course. But <laughs> yeah. That is awesome. Absolutely awesome. Yeah. Chasing oblivion amazing chasing serenity mm. yeah well that's what i thought that's, that's what, what we're I, doing that's what I, yeah that's what i think if you can do that if you can get a, 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 an assemblance of serenity in your life however you achieve that that's how that's how i think you avoid the the plateau thing um i think that that would be my recommendation but like you are yeah 
Love sunrises that. and sunsets are, are beautiful. Yeah, that's gorgeous. Amazing. Oh, yeah, that's so cool. Wow, Miles, bloody hell. A huge, like huge journey. And you're so like you've got so much wisdom, as does, you know, most people that come on this podcast because they've lived it, you know, and you've gone through the shit and you've come out the other side. Yeah. Amazing. And and how like obviously life is so much better on the other side. You know, there's no going back. No, and I think like 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 we discussed, I don't think um, I, I I still maintain that it's the best thing I've ever done, and I think what it's allowed me to do is once I stopped drinking and doing drugs and all that sort of stuff, I was able to slowly but surely address all the things that were making me unhappy or all the things that were distressing me, and I have found, like we say, a, a, a sense of contentment and serenity and just the normal everyday things that you can find anywhere in the world that aren't that don't leave you feeling like an absolute horror the next morning so it's uh, yeah I'm I'm it's yeah by far it's easily the best thing I've done and I'm dead happy that I did it yeah me too amazing so if anyone wanted to reach out to you your Instagram is at sober trekker yeah, I think at the the sober trekker, you'll be able to find me. Yeah, but I, yeah, I try and I try and um, I try and reply to people. People do um, message me from time to time. Like, you know, am I an alcoholic? And then then list loads of symptoms of alcoholism. And then um, I did a thing for which is really worth doing. Like, if people don't want, don't want to go down the AA route, but there's a there's a little app called um, the Reframe app, and I I did a story. I, I wrote this. a story on there. Mm-hmm. ages ago because I, I try and help with where I can I always say yes to things and I get people messaging me from that so that's that's a good thing to do I, I, I sort of I, I had a look at it ages ago but yeah it seems to be quite there seems to be a lot of people getting sober through that but yeah I'm happy like if people want to ask me any questions or anything yeah I'm more than happy to chat online on, on social media I'll yeah. pop your um, Instagram handle in the show notes so if anyone wants to reach out they can they can do that um and just my final question if you could go back in time and speak to the 14 year old version of yourself that was there getting all the warm and fuzzies from the alcohol what would you say to him don't take acid you little twat (laughs) no I would say uh I would I would say I'd probably say it's okay to be yourself I think and I think that's that's that at the root of it is that we don't feel okay being ourselves when really you can just I know that's such a cliche but it's you're enough you don't need to you don't need to do all this you don't need to be a dickhead to be liked Mm. just you're enough you know that'd be it yeah that's so true you know you are enough you don't need to be a fucking dickhead to be liked yeah if someone ever told me that you're enough don't be a dickhead (laughs) (laughs) and keep your coffee in your pants yeah yeah you know unless you need to get it out (laughs) (laughs) unless someone's requested it exactly exactly thanks so much miles thank you so much for your time it's really really lovely to connect with you um over there in london and hopefully i get to meet you face to face one day really enjoyed chatting to you danny thank you thanks for having me Amazing. Thanks.
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.